Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Retirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. Do you lay awake at night wondering if you're going to have enough money to pay the bills, let alone retire? In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money and a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years, and I'm proud to say I've never lost $1 of my clients' money. I will share with you secrets I've learned over two decades that only the few rich know and have been around for centuries. Most Americans are not prepared for their golden years, let alone today. No matter what your financial status is, you can be prepared to enjoy your life and never run out of money. I am so honored to be able to bring in some amazing guests that will help you realize your dream. And today, I have Emily Burchard. She is a family wealth and money coach and managing partner of Wealth Legacy Group, specializing in emotional impact of wealth in people's lives. She's been working with high net worth families since 2004 with especially in step and blended family issues. She's appeared on the Today Show and CNN and has been featured in publications as the New York Times and USA Today. Along with coaching individuals, couples, and families, she consults with advisors on how to respond effectively to their clients emotional needs related to financial and estate planning. She's co-authored the book, Estate Planning for the Blended Family, and with estate planning attorney, Paul Hood. Emily, I'm so glad to have you on the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Seems like you have a lot of wonderful things to share with people. What what well, was it that when you when you first started, why... What got you into this this department here? (laughs) It's a great question. I uh, did not come to it like it was not what I came out out of the starting gate thinking I was going to do for sure. I didn't even know that this work existed. I have a a bachelor's in child development. I have a master's in marital and family therapy uh, intensive from uh, social work school, and I have a PhD, I say, in the trenches, uh, being a stepmom and a stepdaughter and a stepgrandmother, and uh, really did as much as I could to focus on how to uh, improve the lives of the people that I was working with, improve my own life in terms of fulfilling relationships and family. And I was referred to a company in 2004 that worked with uh, ultra-high net worth families with $25 million or more in the successful transition of wealth from one generation to the next. And at first I was wondering, wow, I, you know, I didn't even know that this was a, a population that I could work with. And um, I think that it ended up being to my advantage because I treat people as people and I don't worry about how much money is in their bank account when I'm talking to them. And I think right. that that was a refreshing thing for a lot of those clients. And yeah. uh, it, my whole role was to listen and build a lot of trust around uh hearing what their concerns were and then letting them know that we could fix them in terms of uh, communication breakdowns and breakdowns in trust 
and giving really clear uh, distinctions and uh, tools and coaching to be able to chip those and make it so they could have more fulfilling relationships within their families when there was a lot at stake. So that's wow. how I got involved in it. That is, that's amazing. And, and you, it's, you're coming in from such a different angle than just being the financial planner or someone that's just trying to, you know, manipulate the money, but going to the emotional levels, which is really, you know, kind of drives the money. So that is really cool. So, you know, especially in this generation, it seems like, I don't know what the stats are now, maybe 58% of everybody gets divorced pretty much. And there's a lot of blended families. What what are their core concerns when it comes to estate planning? Oh yeah, it's so true. And you know, it's so interesting because I can guarantee you that anybody that's listening to this show, if they're not personally in a blended family, and we'll describe what that is in a minute, they uh, love somebody who is because it touches so many people's lives. And basically a blended family for the purposes of this conversation is when people come together and there's children that are they're raising on some level that um, they didn't both uh, add to biologically. So in a perfect example for our culture would be the Brady Bunch. You know, a mother shows up with three daughters, a, a father shows up with three sons, they decide to get married and they blend their families. Now, of course, that was completely idyllic, and there were no former spouses to have to deal with, and everybody was really great, and the mom would stay at home, and they had a maid. It's not the typical scenario that anybody was living in. We have a lot of complexities, a lot of dynamics around the yours, mine, and our scenarios that right. uh, come into play. And you know, one of the things that I, I love about my work is I get to work with financial advisors and estate planning attorneys and CPAs uh, to really support uh, their clients around navigating these complexities really effectively because there's a lot of concerns that come in to these these uh, questions around our financial planning and our estate planning. And I love that you have a show that's really geared to support people in, in uh, getting the answers that they're seeking. Uh, in, in terms of the core concerns, I can tell you that when it comes to blended families and what they need to be thinking about and what I know a lot of them have in their hearts and their minds when they think about and oftentimes avoid their estate planning, what they are looking at are um, the worry about between choosing between their partner that they love and their children, where no matter what choice they make, somebody's going to be unhappy. Right. Or uh, there may be um, underlying feelings of unaddressed grief and loss and resentment that um, if they don't get addressed, uh, before the death of a parent are going to come out in ways where the, oftentimes the money is used as a tool to um, fight over because it's, it's easier to, to fight over money than it is to actually deal with the emotional impact of the loss. Right. Uh, there can be resentments and jealousy related to the new partner that's come into the mix, especially mm-hmm. if we have um, adult children and we have a parent that later in life chooses to divorce a, a parent that they've you know stood by them for many years and now they've found a new partner there's a lot of distress there right what's the motivation of the new partner and then parental alienation is another thing we see a lot of where one parent will use uh turn the children against the other parent and then how does that play out in the estate planning right wow those those are great topics i've you know i've we have a document preparation service here in california we've prepared over five thousand trusts 
and I've counseled thousands of families, and I've seen this so much with a blended family. And when it gets to, okay, who's going to control the power of attorney or the trust or, you know, and then they have an and or, or you know, it's there's so there's so much there. And estate planning, really, it really you need a counselor because it isn't just the money. You're ta- there's so many things you got to talk about. So that's really yeah. great stuff. Yeah, and what happens is a lot of people avoid the conversations because they don't know how to have them really effectively, yeah. and it can really uh, play out pretty poorly on the other side of the equation. And so one of the reasons that uh, Paul asked me to co-author the book on estate planning for the blended family with him is he was coming at it from the head and the structures and the different yeah. things a lawyer would look at in terms of how to structure an estate. Right. And then I brought the heart quality in terms of, uh, how do we have these conversations? How do we address right. the core concerns? How do we make sure that everybody gets a chance to be heard and that there's the decisions aren't made behind closed doors and then there's an impact way down the pike, but where there's a chance for there to be an expression and a, a sharing of here's what we were thinking, this is why we made the decision the way we did, how do you see this impacting you as you're looking at your estate planning, you know, for parents to be able to really connect with their kids um, in, in age-appropriate ways around what they're planning is and what they're thinking of. Right. You know, it, it it's really, it's been my challenge because I'm trying to create pre-retirement, which is plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. And I'm really trying to make, you know, this kind of a conversation about death and taxes and money fun and light so we can have the conversation and i it's very challenging when you say retirement most people think about death they don't think that you know it's the second part of your life and that's when you get to take your passion and give back to the world and help others and do something great right but they think of retirement as the end and i was wondering how do you address this how can you get into this conversation with people and actually you know, have a dialogue. Oh, that's so great that you wanted to talk about that because it's something that we're really passionate about. We at Wells Legacy Group talk about uh, having a rich life portfolio. So so often what we'll do is we'll look at, all right, I'm just going to be looking at my money and my dollars and cents and do I have enough money to retire? But that's just the start of it. It's like, how do I lead a rich life? Where am I expressing my passions? Where, What is it that matters most to me? What is it I want to be engaged in in my life? Exactly. What are the stories from my past that um, I want to look at possibly not bringing into the future? And what's the future I want to design? And, you know, it's such an incredible conversation. And we often will have it with uh, people who have experienced a liquidity event of some kind. Like they perhaps they've been an entrepreneur and a business owner and they've built a fabulous business and it's gone public or uh, it's been purchased and they've, they've been bought out and suddenly they find themselves in a completely new role of money manager and they're not attached to their old role of being the business owner and business lead. And then they they can tend to flounder if they don't have a sense of, well, who am I without that? And what's my identity? And what is it that I want to really be putting my attention towards? So we we help people that in that way. And then we help uh, women with rich life portfolio in terms of uh, shifting from the role of mother um, when there's a, uh, you know, they have the um, the empty nest happen, or uh, also when they're aging parents, they're suddenly in a role reversal, and 
and they're having to take care of their their older parents and deal with a lot of decision making and then where am I in the mix and wow what do I want my end of life to look like and it it opens up that conversation in a bigger way and so uh, they find their rich life portfolio really satisfying because it it brings forward the past and then the future design and then how to put it into your present lifestyle so you can have what you really want. That is so cool because I've really noticed there is there's a huge trend and I and it's a lot of it is women. I've been going to a lot of events, maybe eighty percent or seventy percent women that are all recreating themselves. They're you know getting out the out of the eight to five or the kids have gone to college and you know they have they're maybe fifty and they've got another fifty years to go. So what what's happening? I'm seeing a trend where people are you know looking and finding what their passion is and and how they can give back and share. It's so that's so important. It's almost like winning the lottery. You know, all the people that get a lot of money or maybe inherit a lot of money, they don't know how to handle that money and and usually it's gone within a year or two. And I know, think the research is said 19 months is on average. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. Yeah. yeah. They don't know how to ha- that they don't have the mindset to handle it. Yeah, and it's uh the the term that's used for that is sudden money syndrome and it's it's a really extraordinary thing that happens and it's it has a lot to do with trust trust in oneself and trust in knowing that you can have the right advisors to show you how to build your own competencies around tracking your spending tracking the reality of your money and uh, tracking what really are sound investments to make and there's this sense of, well, I have all this money, so I should know, or I have all this money, and it's never going to go away. It's like I'm right. always going to have it. Right. And building that skill to be able to have a completely healthy relationship with it is really important. And that's exactly it. And it's, that is, I think that's the biggest disease about money is that nobody has the right relation. You know, they let that rule over them, and they chase after that instead of use it as something that – you know, that can help them, um, and which I really think comes from what people are educated into a certain, you know, they learn how to make money, but they get out of college and get a job and they start making money, and then what? They don't know how to manage their money, so then they go to a financial planner or CPA that they don't really like and end up putting their money in at risk or, you know, in situations that hurt them because they're not proactive and they don't take control of it and understand it. How do you address that? Do you do you get uh, people involved in, in learning about, you know, how to manage money and take care of this? Well, one of the things that we really highlight in Chapter 2 in the book, Estate Planning for the Blended Family, is something that uh, is useful for anybody. And it's uh, this notion of archetypal patterns as they relate to money and so the first thing that I really strongly recommend people do is to get a really good grasp of what are their tendencies related to money. You know, when you get your bank statement in the mail, do you immediately open it and completely reconcile your uh, your checkbook to it? Do you go online and make sure that at once a week that all the transactions are correct? Or is it the sort of thing where the only time that you have any conscious awareness of transactions and bank accounts and balances is when you get a notice that you have a bounced check or you uh, are overdrawn. Right, right. You know, and those are different right. indicators. So the first one would be somebody who might have more of a warrior uh, way of really approaching their money. Or if it's fear-based, 
that might be more of a tyrant approach to money. Like I got to really have a lot of control and say about my money versus, wow, I'm really wanting to be smart about my money. And then the other one, uh, the avoidance strategy is more of an innocent uh, approach to money or maybe more of a fool's approach to money. So understanding the different archetypal patterns can be so helpful because we have all of them. And it's more about which one's running the show at any particular time. And then that way, you know, if you get a bank statement and you typically throw it in a drawer without opening it, well, maybe the next time you get it, you can say, oh, I want my warrior to come forward a little bit more. This is a good reminder to go check my balances. <laughs> and you allow that to be an encouragement to bring forward other ways of approaching it. Right. That is so cool. Exactly. You know, it's it's fascinating. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious on how, you know, how do you – you, how do you get to that conversation with people? People run from it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't, they're just, and what I noticed in 22, 23 years of practice, most people came into my office and they were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s starting their plan. And they did not do, really, they're not proactive. And this, this, the statistics are frightening on what I don't, I can't quote it exactly, but a, very few people have anything saved, you could say, the majority. And so how do you address that? How do you get into that conversation with people that are, that are running from you? Yeah, you know, it's so great. When you were talking about your goal with this radio show, and I was just thinking, yeah, you're like, like we try to think of ourselves too, as like the Dr. Ruth of money, you know, like yeah, let's right. take on the last taboo. Let's really just dive in there and say there's nothing about money we can't talk about. And the only problem about money is when we don't talk about it. And there's a lot of shame around our money. And, you know, a lot of research has shown things like, you know, when people want to get over horrific things like incest or rape, the most important thing is to have a safe place to be able to talk about it. And so creating safety is a key thing. Somebody, a place where people feel like they can be trust, they can trust enough to let down their hair and reveal their, um, embarrassment, their shame, their guilt, their uh, innocence, their naivete, their foolishness, whatever it might be, because we have a lot of emotion around it. Mm -hmm. And so creating that space is really great. And I love how you bring fun to it, because the more we can bring fun and playfulness and, hey, this isn't such a scary topic, and it's okay if you have those emotions, then people can really start looking at developing a different relationship to money. And the other thing for me is it's like the most intimate relationship in our lives. We're dealing with yeah. money every single day. <laughs> now, really, exactly, and and you know, there was a time in my life where I I became I left the world. You could say I was like a, I was like a, a missionary or a nun or a monk, and and I was out of money. I didn't work for money. I lived in faith and trusted in God, and and I left the it left that world. You could say I had a mountaintop experience where I was not working for money and everything I had need of was there because I was working for love and everything came to me but it really gave me another mindset when I came back into the world to help people that that it's all upside down and I think the priorities you know are all in the wrong place so people are you know taking their energy and sending it to the wrong place what are your thoughts on that I love that you just throw that in and you're like, but, you know, it's like, what an extraordinary thing. And I have to tell you, that's one of my favorite conversations to be in. Uh, You know, one of my favorite books is The Man Who Quit Money. And just looking at his journey around that. And one of my favorite people on the planet is uh, Lenedra Carroll, 
And uh, her book, Architecture of All Abundance, is like my most dog-eared book on my bookshelf. And she did the same thing. She went from running a multi-million dollar um, entertainment business company to uh, doing a walkabout, basically, and living uh, with that level of trust right at the core. Uh, and that that's where true wealth lies, that sense of resiliency, that, that sense of I really am taken care of, not from a foolish place, but from more of a magician place, like tapping into the wealth of our relationships, the wealth of our creativity, the wealth of what happens when we come from giving for the sake of giving and not what we're going to get back. And then, um, you know, really being of contribution and then seeing how, and receiving, also receiving how, uh, you know, we are supported in so many different ways. And then that brings to our life and our flow a whole other perspective when we are working for money, when we are engaging in this, you know, some people call it this like really a dream that's become a nightmare right? in terms of uh, getting a little bit too focused on the dollar and the greed and what's happened as a result of that. And, uh, you know, what I find is that people who are really well-grounded in a strong sense of themselves as being identified separate from the number of dollars in their bank account and the number of assets behind them, they are then more in the capacity to move more effectively with what they do have and to be able to grow and manage what they have. It's when we come from a place of fear and doubt and insecurity that we tend to make poor decisions or we tend not to save or we tend to um, uh, be more fear-based and and, and security-based in terms of that. That is so. That's so true, and that really is true wealth. Because when you know what you have inside, and you have it um, on the outside, or you don't have it on the outside, it really doesn't change who you are. And our identities have been trained so much to be everything's on the outside. You know what you look like. What you know if you're little, and you know everything's outside. What kind of car you drive? Where you have a house? And and then right now, a lot of people are going through those things where tornadoes come and everything they have is gone, and there they are, and they're happy that they're alive and that they have their family or their dog or whoever survived. Um, I think it's I think it's an awakening time for people that they can get in the right place of what they've been given on in the inside, and then when they go to do the money thing, it's in its right order, right place. Yeah, and it's that perspective that's so useful. And I think what can happen a lot in families is that we can often find ourselves uh, quite disturbed and uh, going into different camps and loyalties when a divorce happens or when, um, you know, a parent's a widow or a widower and somebody new comes on the scene. And there's a lot of distrust and there's ways that families can really uh, take care of the greater concerns and, and to keep that bigger perspective in terms of, hey, how do we maintain healthy relationships and healthy communication when there might be some other things at stake here in terms of our personal possessions and things that matter to us and um, the legacy of the family and perhaps even the legacy of a, a, a parent that has passed away. I mean, I have a, a dear, dear friend and uh, uh, I've witnessed for her for years what's happened is her mother, who um, uh, was an inheritor in her own right through a, a very wealthy family, um, 
loved her father and they lived um, a really wonderful life and lifestyle together. And when her mother passed away, her father was lonely and he started going to um, a local casino to go out and have fun and ended up meeting a, a woman who uh, definitely wanted to uh, have him take care of her for the rest of her life. And she uh, uh, convinced him that she really did have his best interest at heart more than his kids did. And suddenly the kids find themselves having to fight for what um, legally is theirs, that their mother intended for them to have, and uh, that their father is now completely changing all of the designed uh, estate planning that was there and things that he's not even supposed to be able to do. And it's just been a nightmare for them. And here's that's their their parents. It's their father. That there's other needs that he's needing to have met by this new uh, lady uh, that's in his life that have uh, supplanted that role and that connection and that commitment to his kids. And I think a lot of adult children are very afraid of that happening. Yeah. So... So how do you address that? I mean, how do you handle the grief? Because it's almost like the opposite, the grief they're running for that. Or I mean, how how do you handle that? Well, the thing I would recommend to anybody who is an adult child of a parent who is a widow or widower is to stay in connection and to be engaged and involved in their lives so that um, they feel that their their concerns and what they care about are really being that are also cared about by their kids, and to to stay connected, and then to keep the conversation going so that if uh, somebody new comes on the scene, that there's a way in which you can uh, have it be a both and conversation. Right. How do you take care of your new life, your new love, and what you want going forward, while also making sure that your love for your kids and your your love for your, you know, your wife is no longer here to also be honored and acknowledged because there's a lot to a person's legacy and um, making sure that all the different components are taken care of and, are, and that there's a lot at stake and there's a lot at risk. And so making right. sure that communication is strong and that you don't go too quickly to getting your hackles up and getting defensive and... Uh, needing to make wrong what the choices that the parent's making, but more being very understanding and um, honoring and acknowledging of the changes that are happening and then look at, well, how does this look in terms of how you want to be taken care of and take care of your family, especially in regards and relationship to mom and what mom wanted and what you guys agreed to. So you keep bringing forward and presenting um, uh, the other parent as well. It's more tricky when there's been a divorce and right. uh, it's a former spouse, you know, this, right. you know, different right. mechanisms need to be in place for that. It, it's, it, it can get pretty complicated in that situation. What would you say that some of the key considerations for couples with blended families who aren't married by choice or a lot of times I've seen people that, you know, will get more Social Security if they're not married and, they, and they're cohabs and they live together and, yeah, there's so many things for people to consider, and that's I I love that you would ask that because whether you're you're married or not, these are really important components that I'd love for your uh, audience to have as a takeaway. And um, in blended family situations, in particular, they're they're very they can be quite dicey. So one is, uh, you know, we work more and more with couples that aren't married, and also um, with couples same sex couples 
where they they can't get married. And there's uh, one thing that everybody needs to be aware of is that healthcare directives and healthcare having your advanced care directive, your healthcare power of attorney in place as part of your estate plan is essential because there are laws and privacy rights that can actually freeze out your beloved partner who may know your wishes more so than anybody else on the planet in favor of blood relatives. And, you know, we have definitely seen this where, uh, you know, somebody that you love, a a beloved partner is in the ICU and there is uh, extraordinarily important medical decisions that need to be made and their partner is not allowed even to go in and visit them. They're not allowed to go into the ICU and the family Um, uses it as a way to um, keep the the other partner out and maybe they weren't so happy with involved in that person's life. So this is somebody that you care about, they care about you, and you want to make sure that they have a say and that they they can have your say at the table. You can, there's very little expense. You can have uh, your health care wishes and your end-of-life wishes, uh, and it's different names in different states. taking care of with some documents. Oh, I was just agreeing with you because this is what I do. I've been doing this, you know, for years. It's just so important that people have these, the directives to physicians and the health powers of attorney for financial and health, no matter what age you are, whether you have assets or not. What you just said is exactly why, and, and this is, really created a passion in me when I've seen so many clients go through such tragedies. We've, you know, we've worked together on an online software program where pre-boomers can actually go and make their own powers of attorney and, and if they, you know, have it or living trust or any legal documents. So we've, we actually have a online software program that we're about to release, which will let any, everybody create, be able to create their own document. And in, and in one level, they can do that. On another level, when you get into the money, then you have to have it reviewed by an attorney or CPA. But some of these documents are very easy and should be available to everybody. It's so important. Wow, that's wonderful that you have that. That's, I can't wait. That's great. I know. I, well, I, you know, I decided the reason I wrote my book really was because of what my mom did. When she came up to me and she had these, you know, she had cancer for 10 years, and um, I think it was her passion that's letting me be able to do this because I would probably be crying if I didn't have, you know, this inspiration. But she handed Mm. me this piece of paper, and when I looked at it, she had tears in her eyes, and she said, look, just this might help your clients. And I looked at it. It was a bill from Stanford Hospital for her chemo. She had five days of chemo. It was ninety thousand dollars. Wow! And, and it was, she had it five days a month for a year. So, you know, this is really what got me to going. Is I just decided I'm just going to put my whole business in my book and give it away so people can get proactive and learn about what we're talking about right now. And and maybe this would be a good time to let everybody know, Emily, how they can get in touch with you and. Um, a good contact for you. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, for more information about our Rich Life portfolio or 
um, blended family dynamics related to estate planning or the money coaching work that we do, they, uh, listeners can go to info at wealthlegacygroup.net for an email address. They can uh, go to wealthlegacygroup.net online and check out our website. Um, and then you can get the book on Amazon, Estate Planning for the Blended Family. That's great. And and for everybody that's just joined in, you are listening to our show, which is Ready, Set, Retire. And my name is Chris Miller, and I'm the author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Retirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. And you can reach out to me at my website is Ready for Pre-Retirement. That's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. You can grab a hold of a, have a free article on the three myths of financial planning. You can get my book there. And also you can click on this radio show anytime you want to. I've got a lot of great shows. Um, so back to what we're talking about. What are some of the, com- of the common barriers that keep people from taking action when it comes to their estate planning, especially with a you know the complex blended family needs? Oh my gosh, I still have more about the unmarried couples, but I'm happy to jump into that one too. Um. Well, you, you, it doesn't have to be. I mean, you know, just that. That just seems to be something I'm challenged with is, yeah. you know, I'm well, really that's what, It's it, what I love talking about because I think yeah. anything I can do to help clear away those barriers right. really allows people to take the actions that they know that they need to take because, you know, you, one of the reasons you're so passionate about your work is the same reason that, that we are with ours is because people know what they need to do. People know that it's better to have their will and be able to state up front and deliberately what it is that they want to have happen with their belongings, with their life, with uh, what their legacy should be. But there's a lot of things that keep us from doing it, and the vast majority of people don't have a will. And right. uh, the main uh, barriers that have been identified are um, fears. And in our book, we identify 11 of the common fears that keep people from doing their estate planning. Um, overwhelm. There's such a sense of, wow, there's so many decisions that need to be made and there's so much that I have to wade through and understand and there's all this legal jargon. Right. Um, it just becomes quite overwhelming. Yeah. And right. then um, in blended families, there's that situation I talked about earlier in terms of a no-win scenario where no matter what uh, somebody in a, a blended couple chooses to do, somebody that they love is going to be unhappy. And so... Sometimes not doing and taking any action is a way that they're not feel like you're going to be made to be wrong or blamed, even if they're not around. The problem is that not taking an action is making a decision. And the biggest thing I want to say about that is when we make a plan or when we don't, when we when we choose to not be proactive and we're not communicating forthrightly to the people that we love about what we're up to and why, and we're not including them in the conversation, what that does is it creates a void. It creates an empty void that the minds of the people that love you fill in with the worst-case scenario. And unfortunately, that's the way the mind works, is without the data, without the understanding of what was the motivation and what is it driving these decisions, the mind is going to come up with the worst-case scenarios. And so even if you're avoiding it because you don't think that 
everyone's going to be happy, know that if you don't do anything, more likely than not, uh, a lot more people are going to be unhappy. And then the last one is uh, unresolved emotional issues related to all of the complexities and loss associated with being in a blended family. And that's my field and that's something that I'm really passionate about is whatever I can do to help resolve those issues and create more harmony and more connection within the family that you're in, whether or not you would have chosen certain people that are in it to be there or not. Right. That, you know, that when, you know, what, Everybody needs to know that there's there's something really important, and I'm I don't think I've quite hit the right words yet. To just like you know, wake everybody up that to get proactive and and to be involved and and have the right documents. You know, even even the the difference between the will and a trust, the living trust. Most people don't even know that if they have a good amount of assets or they own a home, that they need a living trust or they're going to go to probate. And probates courts, and courts take lots of money, and they end up having their estate all tied up, and causes lots of problems. But this information really has is not out there. So I'm really glad you're doing the work you're doing. I think it's great. Um, so you know what? Well, would and you your work say? is so great too, because you, you make it really easy for people to have trust. I think people get really confused about the different terms and and the costs associated with having a trust. Exactly. And then you have to determine trustees. And I don't know how, I'd love to hear what you do with this, but in blended family situations, choosing your trustee is an incredibly important task. To right. Just like oh, you would yeah. have to choose who the executor of your estate is. Mm-hmm. Because again, right. if it's a family member, by definition, there may be really strong conflicts of interest between the stepchild and the step-parent. Or do you have it be a co-trustee between the two or they have to work together? Well, if they don't get along very well when you're alive, it's not going to be much better when you're gone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. In a lot of situations, um, and, and, and those questions have to be asked individually because it's not a set thing, but there's been times where, you know, in, in the situation, we may have one uh, person from one family and another from the other as a successor trustee. and both signatures are required if they don't really get along. Or the health care, you'll have your kid for your health care and he'll have his kid for his health care. And each one of those things has to be addressed individually and, uh, you know, do they get along? Um, I find even children from the same families don't get along and I'll have a lot of times where the parents will say, both signatures shall be required. In other words, you're not going to get that money till you agree. And and that's really was the purpose of, well, I, you know, I used to volunteer at retirement centers, and that's really what got me started. I was making wills and trusts. And when I saw these little widows that really didn't need trusts that were being sold $5,000, $10,000 trusts, and then people that did need them or didn't even know they did, I was kind of outraged at this kind of conspiracy that has been keeping the information from the average people. So back, you know, 23 years ago, whatever, I did started the trust, and I actually just gave them away for $199. And wow. to help the middle class people get the get these documents. And they, yeah, and it's... It, there's a lot to it in terms of who's going to be in what role around managing the trust and right. uh, being a trustee 
and uh, definitely preparing people adequately for those roles and thinking right. through who's the trustee and who's the successor trustee. I mean, I'm working with a, a client right now that's in the midst of a total nightmare because her she's a second wife and her husband uh, set up an estate really well so she'd be set up for the rest of her life. But what he didn't take into account when he set up the estate is that he had a long protracted illness where he has been um, uh, dealing with Alzheimer's for the last 12 years and in serious decline for the last six. And the trustees that had to to manage this estate that he designed um, during his life when he wasn't able to anymore uh, got exhausted. They got fatigued and they ended up allowing the... uh, one of her stepsons to take over the trust because he um, he had uh, reasons to care a lot about what was happening with the trust because it's, it's a charitable trust at the time of his father's death that he's going to help manage. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also an aspect of the trust that goes to taking care of the uh, second wife's lifestyle. And immediately, as soon as he went into becoming a trustee, things started to change in terms of her lifestyle and her, her spending started to get questioned and her um, the amount that she was allowed to get started to change and it became a nightmare for everybody concerned because they had conflicts of interest in terms of what they saw that needed to happen with regards to that trust. So if, if the gentleman that set that up had set up successor trustees that were younger but weren't part of the family, then they wouldn't have had to deal with a conflict of interest with the role of somebody who's in the family who's a trustee. Right. So what did you? So what's your solution to that? What did? What are you recommending them to do? Oh, I've come in very trust? late in the game. My job is to support the second wife in preparing for how her lifestyle is going to be dramatically reduced at the time of her husband's death, um, uh-huh. and just the way that the estate is structured. And so um, I'm doing. Um, money coaching with her to support her in making some very significant and traumatic lifestyle changes. Right. And, and doing it in the, the least traumatic way possible and with a lot of ease and grace and dignity in the process. That's great. What a wonderful service. That's amazing. So Yeah, and you know another another group I was thinking about in terms of our you know, our work is um you know, we talked about women that were dealing with uh the empty nest and later the next right. stage in their lives. And the other thing I was thinking about, too, is there's two other categories of women that are really important that I know you must be. One is women who get divorced later in life um, and suddenly find themselves having to manage their money in a way that they hadn't before. And then also women who are in the situation like this woman I just described where the husband that they'd always relied on to take care of the financial part of their lives, is it becomes incapacitated or... Um, uh, passed away before she does because statistics show that women tend to outlive their husbands. So uh, those those two different groups um, are in a position of really needing to feel competent and working with their advisors and trusting themselves in the financial decisions they make because they um, there's a lot of fear around being taken advantage of and also making mistakes. Right, and and you know. The women are, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a good chunk of women that are inheriting money or handling money. And even in what I've seen so much is the couples don't talk to each other. And so many women end up not even knowing how to take care of the checkbook. 
right? Yeah. And, and then how does that translate to the kids in terms of what they're seeing and what's being modeled for them? Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's exactly. one of these um, old paradigms in terms of our roles and our, our uh, traditional roles that we've had in couples and in families and right. then also how to assist in terms of uh, working together, being a partnership, being a we in relationship to those things. Um, so, like, if a couple is in a situation where there might be an archetypal pattern of um, where perhaps the, the husband is in the role of managing the money and the wife comes forward and is interested in what's happening and how a decision was made or what's happening with the finances and if the husband shows up as having his back up a little bit and, you know, why are you questioning me? Don't you trust me? Right. That is a move that somebody who's... Um, what we would call a tyrant archetype has been triggered because it's more um, fear-based and very quick to go to a place of um, defensiveness. Right. And in those instances, uh, typically what will happen in that dynamic is a woman will go to a more innocent role or will feel a little bit more like a victim and a martyr. Right. Those archetypal patterns will come up strongly, but she recognizes that it's not okay to question. It's uh, not safe to. It's it's threatening, and it's better for me to just lay low and not show up as interested. And then what happens is it becomes a self-fulfilling um, negative feedback loop where then he feels like, well, you don't care about it, so I have to take this on. And he feels justified in keeping her you know, out of the loop because she's taken on the role of not seeming to care or not being interested. And it, just, right. it can be really to the detriment uh, for both people, actually. Exactly. So so what do you recommend? I mean, how do you handle that? Well, when I'm working with a couple that has that dynamic, I'm thinking about a, a blended family couple in particular. He had two kids from a prior marriage and they had two children together and they were pretty ingrained in that in that uh dynamic and she had become quite her victim and martyr had become quite strong um and ingrained over 30 years. And his tyrant you know, kind of ruled the roost. And they went two years without signing their estate planning documents because of how um, they just couldn't have a dialogue about money or both of their thoughts about it that was fulfilling for both of them. And her only sense of having some power or say or leverage was in not signing the documents. Mm -hmm. And so um, they were referred to me and I worked with them and they were um, able to look at the money archetypal patterns that had come into play in their relationship and how uh, they really kind of derailed them because they had taken them so far down the wrong path. And then we, we started to empower them to use other archetypal um, patterns and uh, behaviors and ways of talking about money, and they did a lot of practice with it, and we really worked um, pretty rigorously on it for about four months. And we also brought in aspects of the rich life portfolio to have them look at what were some things from the past that they were ready to let go of and what is the future they wanted to have together going forward, given who both of them were now. And they fell more deeply in love than they had been, and they felt so satisfied. And they came up with a estate planning strategy that really took care of both of their values and concerns because they had very different concerns. He wanted all four of his children treated equally. And she wanted it to be fair, where his two kids had their own mother, her two kids only had her, and she wanted the bulk of her estate to go to her kids. 
Right. And the problem was that if you were to die first, which was pretty likely because he was older, uh-huh. uh, that she would have the community property, and that at the time of her death, she would be able to disperse it how she wanted to. Right, right. So it was one of those things where we got really creative with a couple of different vehicles that they wanted to use where he could have a sense of equality around um, some life insurance that he got. And then um, she was able to have a say of a certain percentage more going to her kids that equalized out based on what her earning capacity had been if she hadn't become a stay-at-home mom to raise his two kids. So it was wonderful diving into what really mattered, what their values were, and how they wanted those expressed in their estate planning. And they were thrilled. And when they expressed their decisions to the kids, how they came about it and what their thinking was, I had prepped the kids for it and let them know that it was a safe place for them to come forward with their concerns. And it's so funny, I use the word kids loosely because these were people that were in their um, early 50s and young 30s. There was a bit of a... A, right. a difference in age between the two, you know, generations. Yeah. Right. And uh, they were both able to, all four of them were able to come forward with in, in terms of, wow, this really helps us with our estate planning and what we need to look at in terms of our retirement and the, the education of your grandchildren. And that really right. woke this couple up to, oh, oh, we can do some lifetime giving towards our grandkids. It could be pretty amazing, too. That could also be fair versus equal because two of the kids, the older ones, had children, and the younger ones didn't. So they were really they were looking at it from a number of different vantage points, and it opened up a conversation they had never been able to have before. So that's that's, that's about that's how I work, and they, they ended up wonderful. loving it. And I love working with the advisors. And you know, as we did our our uh, exploration together, I would then go back to the advisors and say, you know, given what we we discussed in this session this week, these are some pieces that they would love for you guys to model out for them that can make a big difference. Or this is the direction they're wanting to go. Could you put up a couple scenarios about how that could look? And and then the advisors were thrilled because then they could give them what they wanted. Right. Right. What a a nice gift you have there. That's super. You know, do do you find that um, this is what I find that Basically, you know, seven out of ten people over 65 have a convalescent stay in a nursing home. And I find that this is another point that people are in a denial, just like you were talking about the guy with Alzheimer's. I mean, here we are, we're, you know, moving alive, and you just never think your body's going to wear out <laughs> and get old or that some unforeseen thing can happen. And no, you know, a very small percent, something like 2% of everybody in the United States even has long-term care insurance. So, and and 85% of the bankruptcies are, you know, medical. People aren't prepared for this. And the emotional of what it does mentally to people to watch your spouse, you know, lose their mind or or have cancer or... So do you, do you uh, deal with that a lot in your practice? Yeah, and it goes back to what we talked about in terms of the barriers. I mean, the fear around that and the overwhelm around that, it's like, let me just keep my head in the sand. You know, it's right. like, it's, I don't want to go there. And who yeah. on earth wants to plan for the worst case scenario for end of life that they do not want to have, right? And there's this there's this bizarre uh, fear of self-fulfilling prophecy. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't buy life insurance, right? Because right. if I buy it, then I'm going to die, you know? Yeah, like, they no. think they're going to be right. No, that's not how it works, but that's the magical thinking that we do. And so... yeah. 
when we and when we plan for the worst case scenarios, there's a sense of we're admitting that there's a, a strong likelihood they can happen, and nobody wants to admit that. And um, you know, it's one of those things where we can see it, we can see the writing on the wall, we can know it, and to actually take the action and do that is really challenging for people. And that's what we work with: is we work with clearing those emotional barriers that uh, allow people to really thrive in their lives for as long as they possibly can with the greatest health that they possibly can and knowing that, okay, I don't want to get long-term care insurance because, you know, that money is just going down the hole because I'm not going to need it. Well, then, okay, how are you going to invest that same amount of money in some way that you can tap into it if it's necessary, but then you have it for other resources if you don't need it? You know, like that sort of conversation. Right, right. exactly. And it's such an important conversation. That's why I'm out here doing this is wanting to have this conversation and wanting it to be fun and light and, you know, not doomsday, but just, you know, really good practical things that people can do. So I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm I'm very excited about it, and I'm glad to hear you are doing this. <laughs> and, um, I can see we can have a lot to talk about. I think we're getting close to the end of our show here, but I thought it might give you a few minutes to, if you have a little cherry on top or something you wanted to share with everybody. I really, I love that. And I, I'm going to say some things I'm sure you have probably harped on in your show before, but I, I think it's so important that the people know that they can take some very simple steps today or tomorrow that can really make a big difference in the lives of the people that they love. And so one we already talked about in terms of the medical and healthcare directives, and oh my gosh, I want to know when that site is up so that I can be directing people to that. Awesome. And then, you got it. And then, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then the other one is people miss this one a lot, that they have estate planning that's already happening by designating beneficiaries on things like um, life insurance policies, their 401K or other retirement plans, even their bank accounts and uh, who owns their home. And so just looking and reviewing your documents and seeing who are your stated beneficiaries is incredibly important. And it doesn't take much time. And it's really good to know where those documents are and to just review them. Because I can't tell you how many blended family nightmares have happened because people have spent a lot of money on their wills and their estate planning, and they never change their beneficiaries. And the beneficiaries you designate always trump your will. Right. That is and people so don't get that. And it's yeah. awful. Yeah. If I can save somebody a little bit of heartache, it makes me so happy. So those are like the two big yeah. ones that I want to make sure people know. And right. then the other one is do what you can to have a power of attorney in place and make sure you have somebody that you know and trust and that they, you know that they really have your best interest at heart. So that right. if heaven forbid something should happen to you tomorrow, your affairs get taken care of really easily and effortlessly by somebody that you trust. Amen. I totally agree. I'm so glad to hear somebody else saying that. <laughs> that, that, that is so cool because I, you know sometimes I feel like I'm a lone ranger and and because I'm I'm saying that to whatever age you are. And one more thing, guardianships. Mom and dad go out to dinner and don't come back. Who's going to take care of the kids? Oh, and really especially important. when you got the step family situation. Right. And this is a big one in blended families where yeah. maybe mom and dad go out to dinner and only mom, stepmom comes back. And right. those kids know their stepmom, you know, inside and out. But because maybe they weren't even married or that there was no adoption that was formal, 
those kids might end up going back to a blood relative. Right, exactly. So that that is why all all of those important documents are necessary. That's why we're creating an online where you'll be able to just reach in and grab the documents. It's going to be really affordable for the average person to get powers of attorney for financial health, guardianships, living trusts. All of those things will be available for people. And and we're I'm going to talk be able to explain very easily how to do it. It's, takes five minutes you know to actually do it very simple so it'll, it'll let everybody be proactive and anybody that's interested we haven't released this the next couple of months we will have this software online and you can reach out to me again at chris k-r-i-s at ready for pretirement.com and we'll we'll hook you up with um our trust builder and Emily, tell everybody again how they can contact you and get your good information. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's been an absolute joy being here with you. And I wanted to say that in the back of our book, uh, Estate Planning for the Blended Family, we have a CD with some wonderful forms and uh, additional resources to truly support people in uh, being empowered. And there's action steps in every chapter to really support you in taking the steps to decrease the overwhelm and make it so that you can have a, an excellent estate plan for your family where if you do need to go to a lawyer, if you do need to work with professionals and advisors, you um, you understand the jargon, you understand what you need to be looking at, and you're using their time really wisely. It makes it more affordable, and uh, even we actually put some fun into it too, <laughs> if you can believe that. You did what? So that you we we made sure that, cause that estate planning had a little fun element to it. So. Yes. All right. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, great. It's important. So they can Very. get that at wealthlegacygroup.net or they can um, email us at info at wealthlegacygroup.net if they want more information. And we also have a free download if they come to our site that goes into specifics about the money types I've been talking about. The um, If you want to understand archetypal patterns, there's an assessment that you can download and really get a lot of data about yourself and your your partner or your spouse. That's awesome. That's really great. I I really appreciate the service you provide. And I just know that we could go on and on and on (laughs) talking. And we should. We should do this again um, because you have so much to share with everybody. And... Again, everybody, you've been listening to Ready, Set, Retire. I'm Chris Meller, your host, and you can reach out to me at Chris at Ready for Pretirement. And, Emily, thank you so much for joining us today, and you have a great day. Thanks so much, Chris. It was a total pleasure. I can't wait to come back. I agree. Okay. out you can't take a curve at 85 My whole life flashed before my eyes I braced myself to leave this world behind As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I knew?
inside of me and say did I live did I love did I matter to someone did I give everything I had to give did I save any souls was I worried about my own was I haunted by the things I never did did I embrace each day with faith hope and laughter Did I matter? Did, did, did I matter? I hope I can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well. Cause when the curtain falls, there ain't no second chances and you don't wanna ask yourself. Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter? Oh, oh, did I matter? 